Do you know who has possession of your body when you die? Can human tissue and sperm samples from a deceased person be items of property? And what are some of the legal implications of such questions? Hello and welcome to Trial by Podcast, a monthly recording by solicitors at McCabe's Lawyers. My name is Luke Dominish and I'll be your host for this, the first episode, Who Has Possession of Your Body or Parts of It Upon Your Death? Since this is the first episode, I'll give you a brief rundown of who we are and what we do. McCabe's Lawyers is a large boutique firm based in Martin Place in Sydney CBD with 65 lawyers and over 100 staff. This podcast is a way for listeners to get an insight into some of the more interesting, unusual, or even quirky legal issues in society, some of which come across our desks here at McCabe's. If you are a law student, this show is a great way to further your legal educational experience with knowledge you might not find inside the classroom and get an understanding of what it's like to be in practice. And if you are already in practice, it's an opportunity to get a better appreciation of what goes on in practice groups outside your own. Each episode will be hosted by a different lawyer from McCabe's, and this month you're stuck with me. But then in May, you'll be hearing from one of my colleagues, Dylan, who will be talking about estate planning for pets. But first, a little bit about me. I entered into the graduate program at McCabe's at the start of 2016, and I spent that year rotating through the various practice groups within the firm. I've now settled in our litigation team. One of the rotations I did last year was in the estates team, And it is some of the work I did in that team that has inspired the topic of today's episode. That is, who has possession of your body or parts of it upon your death? In examining this question, we're going to look at a number of English and Australian cases, some of which are over 100 years old. We're going to discuss burial rights, human tissue, and even sperm samples, and who has possession of and control of these things, and why that might be the case. But first, some context for why we're discussing these issues in today's episode. There were more than 155,000 registered deaths in Australia in 2015, and those numbers are expected to increase by 1.5% in the next five years, and then rise by 3% each year between 2022 and the early 2040s. In short, these numbers mean that deaths in Australia are projected to double over the next 20 years, and it's important to consider what happens to those bodies. Death, while inevitable, is a profoundly emotional time for those left behind. But it's also a legal issue, and, as such, when considering their pending death, either in the near or far-off future, people will write a will to bequeath their property and other assets they choose to leave to their husbands, wives, children, parents, friends, or anyone else they choose. One of the things people often do when writing their will is specify how they wish their body to be disposed of, that is, buried or cremated, and whether or not they wish for their organs to be donated or used in medical research. But outside of making such requests in your will, does the body itself count as an item of property to be handled by those whom you leave behind? One afternoon, during my time in the estates team, the principal called me into his office. He told me that he had just received a phone call from a long-term client who works in a hospital. Now, for obvious reasons, I won't say who that client was, but she'd instructed us that a man had passed away and that there was a woman claiming to be his de facto partner, and she wanted his body to be released to her so that she could make arrangements for his burial. However, the deceased man's adult children were also at the hospital, and they were claiming that, although they knew who the woman was, that she wasn't in a de facto relationship with the deceased. The children wanted to make their own arrangements for the burial, and none of the parties were aware of any will executed by the deceased. 
My principal asked me to consider this issue and that he wanted me to do some research and come back to the client with our preliminary views that afternoon. The quandary gave rise to a number of questions, including who has possession over a dead body and can you bequeath your body as an item of property in your estate when you write your will? After getting instructions from my principal, I began digging into the question of who has the right to possession of a person who has died? I quickly came across the case of Williams and Williams, an English authority dating back to the 19th century. At the time, cremation was illegal in England. The deceased in that case had directed that his executor should give his body to Miss Williams and that he'd written to her separately and directed her to cremate his body and claim her expenses back from the estate. The executors instead proceeded to bury the body. Miss Williams, not satisfied with this, dug it up, sent it overseas to be cremated and sought to claim her expenses back from the estate. In rejecting Miss Williams' claim for expenses from the estate, the court held that there was no property in a body. Therefore, a person cannot give their body to someone else in their will. Therefore, the deceased's directions to Miss Williams were completely unenforceable and she wasn't able to claim back anything from the estate. So at this stage, it was clear to me that there's no property in a body and that an executor under a will is to take possession of the body upon death to arrange burial. But in the facts of the hospital case before me, with the supposed de facto partner and the competing interests of the deceased adult children, there was no executor as there was no will. How then do you work out who is responsible for burial? Fortunately, in the Australian case of Smith and Tamworth City Council, the New South Wales Supreme Court provided some more recent guidance on the question. The case was concerned with whether or not the biological or adoptive parents had the right of burial over a deceased man. In finding for the adoptive parents, Justice Young set out the law on the right of possession of a body. His Honour stated that when there was no executor named, the person who has the highest claim to be administrator of the estate takes possession. Further, a spouse or de facto partner will be preferred over the rights of children. Where there are two or more people with equal ranking the court will take into account practical considerations, such as ensuring that the burial takes place without delay. Ultimately then, the question for our hospital client was whether or not the person was genuinely in a de facto relationship. Since there was no will left behind by the deceased person, if she was, she would have a right to possession of the body for burial, but if not, the right would fall to the deceased's children. This was not the first time I came across this issue. After I completed my graduate program, I eventually settled in the commercial litigation team. Within my first few weeks in the team, a client came to us with an unusual question. The client was an insolvency firm, and they were winding up a pathology clinic in liquidation. The pathology clinic held a large number of human tissue samples called histomological blocks. The liquidators wanted to know what they were obliged to do with these blocks. Could they simply be destroyed? Did they have to be returned to the patients, perhaps provided to their current doctors, or transferred to another pathology clinic? There are a number of issues wrapped up in this question, including patient privacy and special rules that apply to the health industry, but one of the elements of the question was whether the tissue samples were property, and if so, who owned them. I recall from my previous research in this area that, according to Williams and Williams, there is no property in a body. But like most questions in law, it is never that simple. It did not take long for me to stumble on a case that qualified this general position, and from the High Court of Australia no less. This is the case of Dude, Wood and Spence. The case is over 100 years old, being handed down in 1908. I went straight to the right volume of the Commonwealth Law Reports and staring right back at me were some of the most unusual catchwords I'd ever seen in a headnote. Action of detinue, right to possession of corpse, 
monstrous birth, preservation as curiosity. The facts of the case were most peculiar. In 1868, a mother gave birth to a stillborn child that was described as having two heads. The doctor who attended on the mother preserved the body with spirits in a bottle and then kept it in his surgery until he died. The body was sold at auction after the doctor's death and eventually came into the possession of Dudewood. Dudewood started exhibiting the body to the public for a fee. A police officer came by, didn't like what he saw, and seized the body. Dudewood sued under the tort of detinue. This eventually got to the High Court of Australia, and Chief Justice Griffith held that there are circumstances in which a human body can form property, and that one of these circumstances is where lawful work and skill has been exercised by a person to the body or part of the body, so as to distinguish it or make it different to just an ordinary body awaiting burial. This reference to work and skill harks back to the liberal philosophy of John Locke, That is, just as you create property by mixing labour with the land, you can create property by mixing labour with the body. The Chief Justice found that at least some work and skill had been applied by storing the body in the bottle of spirits, so the body had become property, and therefore the tort of detinue could be sought by Mr. Dudewood against anyone else that was trying to interfere with his rightful possession. This unusual case formed the basis of the conclusion that By mixing their professional work and skill into a human tissue sample, that tissue sample becomes the property of the pathologist. But what about other cases in which this old High Court decision has been applied in more socially and culturally relevant ways today? Do people have property rights when it comes to, say, sperm samples extracted from a dead body for the purposes of IVF? The case of Dudewood has been applied in other novel circumstances like this, the most notable of which is the decision of the New South Wales Supreme Court in Re-Estate of Edwards, which received significant media attention when it was handed down back in 2011. In this case, the plaintiff and her husband had planned to undergo IVF. Prior to them arranging the procedure, the man was fatally injured in a workplace accident. The deceased body was taken to hospital, where his wife made inquiries about extracting a sperm sample from him. The doctors advised that a posthumous sperm sample was possible, but they would require an order from the duty judge of the New South Wales Supreme Court to proceed. Late that night, the wife approached the duty judge, who ultimately made an order that the sperm sample could be taken, but on the condition that a further order from the court would be required before the sample could be released to her. Accordingly, the sperm sample was taken. The widow was then eventually appointed administrator of her husband's estate, and she subsequently filed a summons in the Supreme Court, seeking an order that she was entitled to possession of the sperm as his administrator. The Attorney General appeared as amicus and argued that the widow was not entitled to the possession of the sperm sample in her capacity as administrator of the estate, as the purpose of possession as an administrator or as an executor is limited solely to burial. The Attorney General instead submitted that the widow might be entitled to the sperm sample by virtue of a property right that arises from the case of Dudewood. The court ultimately agreed. Because the sample had been taken lawfully and because it required the application of work and skill to preserve and store it on behalf of the doctors, the sample was capable of being property. But another question then arises, who actually owns it then? the court had to consider whether the sperm was the property of the widow or whether it was the property of the doctors who performed the work. 
The court ultimately held that the doctors performed the work on behalf of the widow and effectively acted as her agent. Therefore, the court ordered that the widow was entitled to the possession of the sperm sample. So there we have it. Samples of or extractions from a deceased body, such as sperm, can form property for an interested party, just so long as those samples or extractions have been acquired through the result of work being done in order for it to actually become property. The whole body itself cannot become property normally, as we've learnt from the case of Williams, and the law is clear as to who can take possession of a dead body for burial rights, but the case of Dudewood acts as a kind of exception to this general rule. Something I'm sure you listeners can share of your next dinner party. And that's all we have time for today. Thank you again for listening to this, the first episode of Trial by Podcast, a show hosted by McCabe's lawyers, examining the weird and wonderful world of law and some of the more fascinating issues that affect our lives and those around us. As I noted at the top of the show, the next episode will be hosted by one of my colleagues and good friends here at the firm, Dylan, who will be taking us through estate planning for pets. It's going to be great, so be sure to come back and listen. Please review us on iTunes via the podcast app on your phone or however you tuned in to listen to us as it will help other law students and lawyers find and enjoy the show, just as we hope that you have yourself. And thanks again for listening and we'll see you next month. 